Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the latest episode of Bibliostapes in Discussion. Today, I've got the great pleasure of being joined by documentary photography, Joanne Coates. Good evening, Joanne. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm I'm not bad, thanks. It's uh, Monday evening, so uh, only the start of the week, but I'm sure we'll be soon at another weekend. So for those of you who don't know Joanne, she's a documentary photographer who lives in the Dales, which would be a lovely place to live. And her book that she brought out, I think it was towards the end of last year or the start of this year, is North Sea Swells and one of the, another place presses a uh, field notes series, which is a fantastic body of work. But before we get to talking about the, the book itself, it would be great, Joanne, if you could uh, maybe give us a quick introduction to you and your work and your photography. So I'm a documentary photographer who likes to work with communities in an in-depth way. So I really yep. like to kind of, have a some form of like socially engaged practice but working with people and them having a kind of say in how the work goes and feeding into it yeah I have been working since about 2015 when I graduated okay um so a while back now yeah and yeah so I, I graduated and then kind of have slowly made my own I'd say made my own little path of how to kind of carry on with my practice yeah very good. Excellent. Yeah, I think I think that from looking at your website, I think stories very much plays a big part of it. And as you see, working with working with the communities. So I'd be really interested to know how you managed to get to know the community in Orkney that you obviously photographed, because I can't imagine it was an easy job getting getting the trust of the, the fishermen on side. I would say this is kind of thanks to a lady who lives in Orkney called right. Fiona Matheson. Yep. So she is actually an artist and a writer herself, but like many artists and writers, she also has or had a job as the fisheries officer, which she stopped doing two years ago. Okay. Um, but because she believes in the art, so when I was kind of talking to different people about the project and what I was doing, I was reaching out to different organisations. Yeah. And then she was like, yeah, we'd love you to kind of like come up here and talk to us. And I was like um, studying at the time in London. So it would have been like 2012 in my foundation year. And I was kind of like, because uh, it's a really long way. Yep. But I had a phone call with her and she was so welcoming and kind of like very like, oh, like I believe in the arts. And yep. we'd start off as a conversation. And I can't promise you people want to be involved. But if you go and listen, that's the first steps you need to make. Yep. So I went and got the mega bus to like Inverness <laughs> and then I got the bus from Inverness to Scrabster and then yep. got like the fight ferry over. Um, so I made sure that I could get over. Um, and yeah, that was kind of how it started and kind of going over there. And it was really like listening to people at first. Yep. And the first time I went was only five days. And then it was making sure that I would do that mega bus journey and go back and I think show to people that you're committed and that you Absolutely, are yeah. you're not just going to go and leave and then that's it yeah yeah I, th I think in, in these sorts of communities I think if you actually put the time in and show that you, you've got a genuine interest in what they're doing and it's not just a case of going get exactly what you need and then you're, you're not seen for dust I think yeah it, it's the ideal way to to get into it and so what what gave obviously you talked about your, your grandparents and your trips when you were young but what kind of gave you the inspiration and the idea to to create this body of work I think it was the first so I'd never before my foundation year I'd never studied photography right I'd just studied at a level I didn't actually have like a 
a great photography background yeah um or like an in-depth learning of it and I think this was just what I would say it's like your instinct so it was what I was kind of drawn to and obsessed yep. with anyway yeah and I think it does come from like those that connection with my granddad is the only way that I can kind of but it must be like a mixture of maybe like nostalgia of that feeling in those places like on the coast where I grew up yeah um the fishing villages changed quite a lot and they're not really fishing villages anymore yeah whereas when I was young they were just starting to change and you would have a few fishermen um and then they got, went to just being tourist places yeah. so I think that that also was interesting but I also think some of it was that kind of that first elements of understanding my practice because I really like wanted being from like a more smaller area um I was like I really want to study in a city I want to go and like I just wanted to go to cities um, and meet like different people yeah but then as soon as I got there I did this project that was in Orkney and I think it was (laughs) it took me a while to figure out but actually it was my like subconsciously may have maybe way of saying your work is about those places rather than the cities and yeah, that's the, what you're interested in. Yeah, the, the smaller communities. I suppose that when you're used to growing up in the smaller communities, it's, it gives you a great opportunity to explore with them and, and work and engage with the with the smaller communities as well. Definitely. Yeah. So obviously, you uh, you, may, you must have made several trips up to to Orkney. How many how many trips was it before you actually stepped foot on the boat for the very first time? Because certainly, I've watched Trollerman on TV. I think as probably many people have done, and it looks a hair raising experience. So, what what was it like getting on the boat for the first time? So the the first time I went up, I was allowed on a boat, but right. it was just one of the smaller day boats. So it was yep. more like a a seven hour trip the first time. Right. And then when I went, I'd I'd go back up like in the the summer holidays. Like whenever I could manage yep. to get up, I would just try and get up, and I had saved a little bit. Um, but when I actually went on the bigger boats, it was after I'd graduated and I'd said to Fiona, like, I really want to come back and stay for a longer time. Yeah, and okay. And again, her support in the project had said, well, um, I'm sure that there's, like, we can find some funding for you to come and do that. So then Excellent. I got to come up for a little bit longer after I'd graduated. And um, that was when I got to go on one of the bigger boats. So that was like 10 days the first time. Out at sea? Yeah. <laughs> And, and how, how was that experience? How did it live up to your expectations? That, or was it just so totally different from what you experienced, from what you expected it to be? I think it was a, it was a bit of both. It was quite eye-opening because I was like waking up and going to sleep whenever they did. Yeah. Um, and they have these little alarms that can ring and they don't have to ring them. But I said, no, no, like make sure that I wake up when you do. And yeah. um, you're kind of like quite, like you take a while to get, used to that like sleeping three hours then being awake three hours and sleeping and yeah. it's like you're, you're a bit confused or getting used to it and adjusting yeah. um to the rhythms and I think that the way what one thing that surprised me is the way they almost like subconsciously work together like like a machine for like yes. they know how to where each of us going to be and how to respond to each other and that like crew's like really close yeah I, suppo- I suppose working in such a working in such a small and dangerous environment. If you're working in the middle of the night and it's pitch black, 
you probably really do need to understand and be t- fully confident in the people you're working with that uh, everyone's doing their job and you're not going to trip over someone and end up in the North Sea. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's one. I was always like, um, if I'm in the way, just tell me or try yeah. to move and try not to just try not to like make it more difficult yes. for them as I went. Um, yeah. But the, yeah, the first time I went, it was actually the weather was flat calm right. and it was the first time I was like oh this is not bad and I haven't been seasick and I think that like I didn't want to like curse anything and say oh I'll never get seasick but I was like that's it but then a few other times when I went out it was really bad um but it's I think you just you know that you're there and that yeah. you like you, you can't turn around to there for a amount of days and so you kind of like blend into that way of working, working. and being yeah. And how, how was the experience of photographing on the boats as well? Because obviously I'd imagine you're in somewhat of a limited space. You can't, if they're busy working away, it's quite hard, I'd imagine, to ask them to just stand and pose for photographs when you want it. So how did you get into the routine of working? And I'm going to guess that it must have been just through spending a lot of time with the crews themselves. Definitely. And I think they had mainly all seen photos that I'd taken before. So they already kind of knew what type of photography that I did in, in yes. that way. Yeah. Um, and they get kind of used to you so that you almost become by the end of it, especially like they're tired anyway and they're, they're just, they don't really like, like aren't that bothered that you're there. Yeah. Um, and I think it's been sensitive to certain moments. Like there's probably, there's moments when I, I always have these like questions for myself of like, um, I guess other photographers would make those images and then sometimes you kind of think, oh, am I not making the most of that moment? But then you have to like make your decision with what you're comfortable with doing. So say like when they're having what you can, they're exhausted and they're having a private moment and you can kind of, you can tell when someone needs a private moment and yes. on a boat they can't have one. And so I would just give them that space instead of being like, oh, I'm going to yeah. photograph you. Um, because I just felt like, everyone needs those moments I needed a quiet moment on the <laughs> get tired and so yeah. like and I wouldn't want someone doing that to me so then yeah there was those moments where yeah. I think you just have to decide yeah even you're there to take photos but I think yeah respecting people's privacy and absolutely like, it's a very it's a very small enclosed space and as you say everyone needs a bit of breathing space to themselves and just setting your standard out at the outset it, it probably helps create a great a far better working a working relationship with the fishermen as well particularly if you're spending 10 days with them at sea yeah you don't want to annoy someone on day one <laughs> <laughs> i can imagine it would make for a particularly long trip uh, on, on the way back but so what sort what what message were you keen to portray about I suppose not just the fishing fishermen but actually the whole community and the whole experience of, of fishing I think that especially when I started it one of the things I was seeing was quite a lot of negative press and I think yes. that each every industry needs to have positive and negative press like they need to be examined especially if it's yeah. kind of a more industrial process but a lot of the fishermen that I met in say Orkney and the same in Shetland were smaller family generational they didn't earn masses amounts of money like was being said and they yeah. weren't these huge and so if you take um for example the the trawler in um Shetland they operate like a cooperative which is quite different to any of their like English trawlers would have done so 
instead right. of it being like hierarchical you'll still have a captain but that's just the lead almost like the leader yep but all the wages are split equally okay and the boat is um co-owned so it's a different system yes um, of being yeah yeah <laughs> yeah which make which makes a big difference and everyone then feels they've got equal ownership and equal interest in it as well definitely and I think that was something that really community way of being yeah. that kind of I think in England you don't see very much anymore and it okay. we're very like it's almost like a sponge of like how much can you get out of something and like wring it dry. Yes. Yeah. Whereas it's nice to see people fishing for tomorrow and that the the fishing boat that I went on in Orkney, they're they're all family boats, but a lot of them had family that they wanted to be able to fish for tomorrow. And a lot of them were saying, we're happy to work with scientists and have scientists on board. Um, yeah. And, you know, like they, they will welcome people to come on board because they want them to see their processes and what they do. And All they right. kind of wanted to debunk some of the myths of like yeah. what they were doing, but they weren't hiding anything either. So I thought yeah. it was really interesting. And I think that those communities were, but I know, and I know not every fisherman will be like that. I'm not saying everyone is. Yeah. yeah. But I think that I really wanted to kind of show that story of what was going on from that view of like looking at it as a more community driven process rather than maybe more something that's just concerned with capital. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's quite fascinating the way you talk about and how you say they're they're very open to having different groups and scientists, etc. Um, and obviously your yourself as well, which I think shows yeah, they're they're trying to show a different light and, and present a different picture as opposed to the very high uh, money, glamorous life that maybe some of the other areas where you've got the, the huge big fishing boats are. And yeah, it sounds like very much a community feel, which I think you must have got when you went up there the first time and actually just introduced yourself to the people in the, in the first instance as well. Yeah, definitely. And there was, I think there's things like um, each year, I think probably not last year or the year before, but each year they have um, a fishing ball and it's because they're in Orkney, it's a cooperative again. So they yeah. um, will have, they'll meet together to make decisions about kind of what they're doing and um, how it runs. Yeah. But they have it when the tides are the strongest, so it's the hardest to fish. So they have it at, right. on that particular day because that's when they're mainly likely to be able to be Attend. on that. Very but good. I think it's yeah. like making sure that you go, like if, if they invite you to something like that, then like go to it and, yeah. you know, go to like the Cayley and meet everyone and talk to everyone. And yeah. it's like, like when you walk down the street, stop and say hello and have a chat. And, yeah. um, and I think, you know, like it is understanding that it is a community. And um, I think some people said, oh, they found it harder in smaller communities, but I just think it's like, the, the best piece of advice I ever had, and it was when I was working on this and the first time that I ever went anywhere, and it was like um, this youth hostel in Orkney, you know, staying there for the night, and there was another guy and his wife staying there. Um, and I don't know what they did. They'd retired now, but they were just chatting about the fishing industry and things. Yeah. Um, and they are like, the best thing that you can ever do is just listen to someone. Yeah. And because, like, I was, like, had just started it and didn't know genuinely didn't know that much about photography or documentary photography yeah um, i think that was the best to just listen yeah yeah 
yeah listen listen to the stories that people have got to tell and then you, I think you you the 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 photography in the book beautifully marries up with some of the incredible tales. I'd imagine you must have you must have heard from them, and it's just it's a perfect balance of the portraiture with the landscape as well. So it really gives the the stories and, and the individuals a real sense of being somewhere and and being on the boat or or being on the land as well. Oh, thank you. That's really nice. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a wonderful book. I I must say, I, I really enjoy I really enjoy looking through it quite regularly. As I said, I, I've I've always found it a fascinating industry, and when you see it when you see it on TV represented in whatever way, I think just the scale the scale of these boats and the locations that they're going to, um, I can imagine were there a few scary moments on board at all. So when it was worse weather, it does get. There are moments when you're kind of like a bit nervous or like and, and genuinely for them because like the last thing you want to do is like put them at risk or be stood yep. somewhere where like you could potentially fall off. So it's just like making sure like when the weather was bad, I was like, can you just tie me on yes. like so that I I'm staying on that bit and like I can photograph, but I don't need to worry about it. And then yeah. they can haul and they don't need to worry about me. Yes. So just doing that when it's yeah like that and I think that maybe it's like the the monotony of being like doing the sleep thing for however many days is the hardest thing and you can kind of see them getting tired but then you also know like I'm going to get off now and because their shift pattern they'll it's only one member of crew that's off at a time so they'll kind of do that for like three weeks and I, I was just like they'll have a few days on land and then they'll go kind of do it all again but they yeah. won't have like a week off to recover yeah. from it. Um, yeah. And I think that's the thing that kind of struck me the most that would, because I don't, I don't think I would be strong enough to do it in a cycle like that. <laughs> I suppose, I suppose it's one of these things you probably get used to it, but yeah, you can see how physically demanding it is. And, and as you say, when you're asleep for three years and awake for three years, the concentration levels you must have when you're working in that sort of environment must be, must be quite incredible, but I think you probably took the right option of uh, get tied in somewhere so that at least that way you know you're not going to you're not going to gain anyone's weight or uh, worse still end up overboard or something like that. Yeah, definitely. So out out of out of the photo out of the book, were there any particular images that you you remember for some special reasons or some interesting stories? I think the there's a photo of like a painting which is the cover. Um, yes. and that's so that's the keeler uh that I went on that was the first trawler that I went on for 10 days right. um so that one I think because um it's in Tommy's house so Tommy's the skipper yep um, but it also is that kind of it's almost that ideal view of like how the fish is how they're like they're fishing at sea but yep. then kind of like marred with the reality of it as well yeah um and I think it, it reminds me of, so when I took that photos before I'd gone on the keeler, I knew that I was going to go on it. And I was meeting Tommy and his wife at their house um, okay. and like meeting them and seeing, I wanted to see what they did off the boat. So like what, what does a fisherman do when he's not fishing and it's repairing yeah. nets. And yeah. um, so they're on Westray, which is one of the smaller islands, islands. of the Orkney Islands. Yep. Um, and so I went and kind of like met with them and chatted with them and really like had a chat and it was the you know seeing how important the family was 
And I remember talking to Tommy's wife, Arlene, and talking to her, you know, about what is it like when they're at sea? Because from their house, you can see the sea. Right. So his sons fish as well, but they're not on the same boat as him. They're, they're on a smaller boat. Um, but it gets really rough because they're one of the most northerly isles. So there's no, like, there's no protection. Yeah. As in the other islands, sometimes, you know, it creates, like, little havens in between. Yeah. Um, and I was saying to her while we were kind of looking at what is that like when you you can't really take your mind off it because you can see the sea yeah. and you can see all the weather and how rough it is and... Like, what's it like to be the person on land when, like, the three members of your family are at sea? They have a sister as well, but it was the two sons and her husband are at sea. Yeah. And so what is that like, you know, like, when they haven't got back and they're meant to be back and the seas are rough? And, yeah. And she was kind of saying, you almost have to be a certain kind of person to be able to be the partner of... A fisherman. Yeah. So you have to be quite mentally strong. And yeah. her... Like said on the islands, people will have either known other people who were fishermen, and so they'll know the relationship, or their fathers would have been themselves, so they'll kind of know what it takes. But it's that taking your mind off it. Said if you think about it, it can just consume you because yeah. it is so dangerous. And when you see things happening, they all know someone who's had either an awful accident at sea or has passed away at sea. So yeah. I think for that that photo really kind of spoke of that those people who are in the community but who aren't the fishermen yeah and the effects of like what it has on on them and that community if anything does happen yeah so that image even though it's kind of a bit of a different image to the to the rest of them really was spoke to me of that yeah um and then i would say maybe there's like a double exposure right um that's like someone's silhouette and the sea um, so it's like a square film image and it's oh, yeah. uh, like the, a portrait but you can't see yeah that one um so i think that one because of the also that again the mental strength yeah because i think there's a lot of so jimmy moody is the father of paul moody who was one of the men who was on the um trawler boat yeah and it's a lot of fishermen end up getting divorced because of the hours that they were. Right. Um, and there's a very like, again, it's like that you're, you always have to be strong or jovial in the community, but you can't show that your weakness or that you are a bit like mentally tired from being on a boat so much or that you might, your relationship might be like, so basically we were talking about mental health yeah. uh, and I, I won't name the fisherman who that portrait no. is of, but he was speaking about, um, like the mental health kind of side of fishing and how it's almost like you have this uh, identity as your public identity of like what you do and who you are but then there's also like what's going on and like mm-hmm. as you, as you're kind of like in that community someone who has quite a traditional role you maybe don't show that and I think um, like writers kind of there's um, a, writer, a writer, an art writer um, called George Mackay Brown and he really speaks about it really well of like that kind of like the, maybe like what's going on behind the stereotype. Yes. Um, and I think it's like there's all these different complex things going on and yeah. that fishing is like a really photogenic maybe yeah. 
um but there's all these di- kind of different things going on in the community and how they will always support other people but yeah like how maybe that the breaking up of relationships the being away at sea the kind of having to be like quite mentally and physically quite strong yeah um doesn't necessarily go hand in hand with like what's actually going on behind the scenes yeah yeah it's, it's quite fascinating really just inter- really interested in listening to you talk about it particularly talking about the, the wife that you you went to visit when she's got the majority of her family all out at sea and yeah the 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 mental strength you must need when you're looking out to sea or you read the weather reports and it tells you it's like gale force eight nine ten or whatever it is it it must be it must be quite an incredible environment to to live to have to live in and and exist in as well that you don't you don't necessarily think about all you do is you you kind of your your first and foremost thought is generally probably for the fishermen who are on the boat without thinking about the fam the families and the communities that are that are on land and waiting for everyone to return definitely and that was uh yeah that was what, what i was going to talk about with paul and jimmy so jimmy yep. is dad and jimmy has been a skipper before um is still a skipper but they don't work together a lot of the yep. time um and paul was on a boat that went down and um, luckily he was okay but they what they'll do is they'll hear that the boat's gone down first someone will either text and say have you heard this or yep. like a lot of them are constantly like refreshing the fishing news and like yeah. their forecast so like they'll always kind of know what's going on um and there was a good few hours where he didn't know he knew that the boat had entirely gone down but he didn't know whether like his son was okay and I think like those moments and him talking about that um and like just just that feeling of but knowing that you're the reason that your son also got into that profession must be Absolutely. really difficult yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it must be you're just an incredible when you're yeah, as you see, you're waiting for hours to hear if your son has survived when you when you know a fishing boat, when you know the fishing boat's gone down, must be yeah, quite an incredible experience and very I'd have thought mentally and physically draining as well on you. Um so yeah, in, incredible incredible communities and very, very close knit. And I, I can only imagine extremely supportive of one another as well, which is which is really interesting to hear. Definitely. Yeah. So when, when it came to it, how how did how did the body of work then translate into a, into a book? Did you submit it to Ian? Obviously, you did it with another place, Press, or did he approach you? Or how 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 where did the idea come from to to maybe put it into a book? So I always wanted it to be a book, but I'm from a working class background, so I've never had like a huge disposable income, and I guess like going to uni was a really good thing for me in terms of studying photography yep. but also a really bad thing because it left me in loads of debt so it meant yep. that I couldn't maybe do everything I wanted to do with photography yeah um, and I was always a massive fan of what Ian did yeah and how supportive he is of like other photographers and practitioners yeah absolutely um, and he had approached me about the field notes kind of he'd asked if I would like to make this body of work into one of the Um, so obviously I said yes straight away because like I didn't even need to think about it Um, and I sent him over a a wide selection a wider edit Um, and then from then he kind of like chose he made a smaller edit and then he sent over you know like different examples of covers or layouts and was really helpful throughout the process so he was kind of like 
um you know are you happy with this what do you think about this yeah how do you um do you like this cover do you like this cover like letting you make decisions yeah yeah very good and did you enjoy the process of working with Ian and, and seeing the book come to life yeah it was brilliant I think that if photography had more people like Ian in it, it could only be a better yeah. place to work. And he's so, I think like he really breaks down those walls that maybe stop people from progressing as photographers. Like he really yeah. is someone who like helps people kind of like carry on and continue and is always supportive of what everyone's kind of doing. Yeah. Um, and especially with the field notes, because like you said, he did a, an open call and it's not like it's not hierarchical at all it's not like uh who are you and like what's your work about it's literally submit your work and if anyone is like listening and thinking i would really encourage like just submit your work yeah absolutely i i i totally admire and um ian's a fantastic guy and and the work he's done to promote photography um and the whole field note series i think is fantastic he produces so many of them Um, i purposely made a point of not buying all of them so that i don't get into the the sinking feeling of having like bookshelves and bookshelves of them but i i regularly buy them and i think they're just they're a great size and they give great opportunities to so many photographers to have their work published that otherwise you might never see it and i've i've picked up so many of them and i thoroughly enjoy them all they're a great size you you're not looking at someone to have to produce a body of 60 or 70 images and but it gives you a real flavor for what's behind the photographer and a bit of a background into their work and and their perspective as well definitely and i and i think it is it's a lot of work i can only imagine the amount of work it is on his side because yeah he's like editing the images going through printing them making sure you know like the quality then he goes through and he does like make sure the yeah. qualities of everything is great and like he asks you like would you like some of the books as well so like I like I wanted to make sure some of the fishermen could get them yeah and he was like do you want me to send them to you or do you want me to send them yeah. to Orkney and like just little things like that that are really like that he already is like a really really busy person but he'll never he's one of those people is that on the hell he'll never say oh I'm too busy yeah absolutely um, and just yeah like a real gem I think yeah yeah absolutely absolutely and it's a it's a, it's a great book and I'm I'm delighted to have it in there I'm delighted to have it in my bookshelf because I, I thoroughly enjoy it and I, I find the subject matter really fascinating as well I, I think it's something that everyone takes for granted but yet it, it'd be incredible to have to try and relate to it and certainly much harder uh, working conditions in my day job to be perfectly honest as well so obviously i the podcast is all about books um, and I'm, I'm interested to know what books maybe inspire you and and um, we obviously we were talking a wee bit beforehand and there's i think the thing is a few books you've selected and uh, these are ones that really inspire you and, and i've stuck with you so i'd be really interested just to hear hear the reasons behind them and 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 what 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 about them inspires you so the first one that i've chosen is the house of Coats, and it's not because of the name um yes. it's uh it's by brad seller but it's actually by a uh, little brown mushroom which is alex soff uh the photographer of a little brown mushroom is his what would you call it like a publishing yeah it's it's, it's we yeah there's a technical term for it there's lots of people who have them but yeah it's, it's own be like publishing house i can never remember the technical term but yes i know i know what you mean and i think the reason i really liked this is again it was something that was different and I I don't know whether it's whenever I mentioned 
this book to people that haven't always heard it. Yep. Um, but it's like 30, I'm guessing the 35 millimeter disposable film camera, that's what it looks like. Yep. But it's really, I think what it's really doing is playing with how you can put images together yep. to tell this story or, but it's also allowing the person who like flicks through to make their own assumptions. Yeah. And then the writer has written prose and it's it's like playing with how that they can go together and like really exploring how you can like push the narrative yeah. of um photography. But yeah, how you can really like push that narrative of photography by maybe like challenging it a little bit. Yeah. Very good. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry about your dog. My cats have appeared on various episodes and stuff like that as well. It's it's, it's all part of it's all part of the atmosphere. So yeah, so that's a that's a yeah really interesting book and yeah I know uh, yeah the little brown mushrooms very popular some really really great work. So uh, anything else? That, another one that you'd like to share? Yeah, so the Sophie Call one. Um, yeah. I don't actually own this book um, yeah. because it's I'd say yeah it's it's an artist book. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether it's always been a limited edition, but ever since I knew it, it's always been either a sold out or like you need to remortgage your house to buy it. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's one of those books, um, and it's called "Take Care of Yourself." Yeah. What I really liked about it was it's this artist book, but it also is like multi layered. So Sophie Carl is, um, she's a photographer but an artist photographer, yep. um, and it's her work but it's the way it's also laid so she has like images and then like little inserts and like the way it's structured together it becomes this entire like piece of art and it was the first yeah. book that showed me that a book doesn't just have to be a photo like it doesn't just have to be a photo book it can also be this like almost installation or it can take people on a journey it can take them it, the book can actually be just the outlet for the work and that's how it goes and it really suits the book but also made me realize not every piece of work needs to be a book and it's really important to think about like why is it a book um and I would we like at uni we this book used to be in the library and literally every single week I would go and like spend time with it so I think for me that was like falling in love with artist books with photo books yeah um, and like looking at their potential yeah they, they it offers something totally different as you say when it becomes more of an artist book it really becomes a piece of art in itself and you, you really you see so many and the the options you've got to explore construction and binding and adding bits and pieces like i see on in sophie's book i think there's a cd included it as well so it, it really just takes on different a different element and yeah it becomes fully multi-layered and the tactile elements as well are always so important yeah, definitely. And then two more books, maybe. Yep. Sure, two more, maybe, yeah. Um, there's one by, there's a different, again, publishing house yep. called Be More Jake. And this right. was um, the the guy who runs this, I think his name is Maxwell Anderson. He right. came into uni and did a, like, not like a masterclass, like a, I don't know what you would call it, um, like a session with, Okay. a small amount of students on like books and book publishing yeah. and how we got into it 
And the book that I really liked that he talked about is called Personal Matters. Right. Um, and so it was very like the images. I think he'd approached the photographer because he'd seen the series, but he really, again, it was like that lesson of how he was really talking about how the publisher works with the photographer and like how a book doesn't just have to be like a book, especially a photo book. So these, the, the series was quite almost like personal and very like, like a diary. So then obviously yep. why not use an actual diary format, like a moleskin diary right, to lovely. make. Yeah. And it's just like, it sounds like a really simple idea, but I think when you see how well it's done and again, seeing that it was the first book that I'd ever seen yep. that was like that. Um, and that just really suited the work. And I think it's, BMO Jake is a small independent publisher. Um, yeah. But, you know, going out of the way to like make the best of that work for the photographer and actually working with them. So like bouncing ideas off each other yeah. and working together. And it really made me realise that there's people out there who do that. Um, and maybe, again, the first time that I'd kind of come across that and like understood that relationship between publisher and photographer. Yes. Uh, which I maybe didn't before. So definitely that yeah. book as well. Very good. Um, okay. And then the last book, and this is, I guess it's about the work, but again, maybe how kind of documentary work with a social cause can appear in a book. Yep. Um, so it's called, the series is called Rich and Poor and the book's called um, by Jim Goldberg. Yep. And again, I don't own this book as it's always been sold out. Yeah, uh, but it was one of the ones that I kind of um, would pour over again and like really look yeah. at. And um, it's about kind of I guess like social inequality in America, yeah, um, or in the United States of America. So it's like really looking at that. And uh, Jim Goldberg's practice is quite socially engaged and community focused, and how that relates to a book. And then I guess what I was interested in was so say like you have a book which at the end of the day is a piece of art but is also a commodity yeah how do you then talk about social issues within something that people are kind of buying into and how can that reflect um and enhance the cause of what you're talking about yeah so that's what and I think that Jim's book does that really successfully yeah so that was like one of the the first books again that I saw I guess they're all like firsts they're all yeah. like yeah it was something that I saw that was different yeah um, ab- absolutely and for many people when I speak to them it, it can often be one of the first books that maybe come across the some have owned it some maybe don't and it's maybe something that it's all everyone's always got a wish list of books but yeah it's something that you actually you can remember has really inspired you and and, and got you gravitating towards photography or a particular style or as you say artist books and just it opens up your imagination and makes you realize what what's possible and and there aren't really any constraints when it comes to producing these these sorts of work definitely and I mean there's so many I think photographers who make brilliant photo books and you still like you'll go to some kind of like photo book fair and there'll just be like one person who's like an independent self-published and you'll come across their book and that and it's always like for me it's always like those ones that really stand out where like yeah it's this really you can just like it's it's about the work but it's almost like the the book reflects the work as well it's not just yeah like the photos on the paper and you're going through and yeah it's I mean and there's so many brilliant books I could have chosen for this and it was really I found it really hard to make a list 
Yeah, but that that that's part of the challenge. Everyone always really complains about the the, the fact that I only let them have maybe three or four books, but it's really to focus people's minds on what ones are actually important and what ones just it'd be very easy for me to let everyone have 10 books and frankly everyone would, everyone who listens to the podcast would then be bankrupt from then subsequently <laughs> buying all the books which inevitably happens um but uh, yeah it, it's it's always really interesting i always find it fascinating to hear what does inspire people and um it is it's when you talk about yeah it's the, it's the different books and it's the ones where the, the actual physical elements of the book reflect the work because it becomes it becomes a real piece of art at that point and it becomes a whole experience as opposed to just looking through the pictures. It's the feel and it's the size and the scale and the materials it's been made with and the way it's been made, which yeah, I, I, I find really interesting and really fascinating. I've got a few handmade books and they're beautiful, beautiful pieces to own. Definitely. And it's... I think and it, it's that hard line as well because like I said like I, I don't own two of those books that are my favorite and yep. it is hard with four books because I feel like it should be like they should be like democratic because not everyone should be able to afford them whereas yep. they not everyone can go through an exhibition yes um but they yeah like there's only so many in addition and then they become sold out and I think I don't I like I don't know from the publisher's point of view how that works and things um but it's so interesting and and then you almost like I think it's almost nice that you see it in a library and that's how you your experience of that book is either like at a museum or at the the university library or um in you know a place where you can kind of like like the photographer's gallery has like a study room that's where and then that whole experience of that book reflects that place where you saw it and that whole day as well yeah yeah that that actually brings back wonderful memories and as you see even if you can't own a book, if it's something that you've actually been able to look through, enjoy and take in, then you you, you still always remember it and always remember the experience and, and the work inside as well. So what, what are your plans for the future? Are you working on some new projects at the moment? And Yeah, so at the moment, um, I just received some funding to carry on with my work around female farmers. So I got a residency with Beric Visual Arts to do this project. Yeah. Was kind of um, looking at gender and farming and agriculture. Excellent. Um, and that was really interesting. So I got that in 2019, and then obviously last <laughs> the 2020 was a bit uh, difficult, yeah, to work through. Um, but because of the funding, we're going to make a small book, but it'll just be really like an edition of a hundred, and it'll be like a smaller, uh, more zine-like book um, yep. to keep costs down and to like just reflect and show the work. Excellent. But that'll be a really nice again process of putting the work together yeah. um, and like thinking of meaning and kind of yeah. making it I guess like making it go beyond you want it to be something where people who don't go to the exhibition can understand the work and experience yeah. and um, I really want to because I recorded a lot with the, uh, the the ladies the women across yeah. I really want to have a cassette with it but we'll see on how that's possible um, um well there's there's ways and means to do all these things these days that that's the thing but it sounds fa- it sounds it sounds really really interesting i, I can imagine uh, there may, there must be so many the 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 combination of the 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 portraits plus also the landscape will produce some wonderful work and um i just i just think of the likes of uh, ragnar axelson his his work faces of the north and his recent work arctic heroes i think it's it's a fascinating fascinating combination of just bringing uh, 
people into the landscape and also Zoe Childerly, who did the work out in the, the uh, Las Vegas deserts um, a few years ago as well. And again, it's, it's just a wonderful combination. and It really gives a different, gives a different meaning to the work. So that sounds really nice. And uh, yeah, please definitely put me down for a copy of the book and maybe not the, I would love the cassette, but unfortunately these days I don't have a cassette player. So I don't, I don't, I don't know how to maybe play it. Yeah, that's the only problem with that. <laughs> I don't. I don't even know if I've got a place to play a CD anymore. But I could probably. I, I prob- that's maybe easier to find than a, than a cassette player. But no, that that sounds really fascinating. So I, I wish you all the best with that project. And it, it remains me just to say thank you very much for your time this evening, Joe. It's been. It's really been a pleasure chatting to you about your your work, North Sea Swells, and uh, and your love of photo books and really what's inspired you. So, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me and for as well making photography a place that's like more friendly and where people can be listened to and their voices can be heard as well it's an absolute pleasure thanks very much cheers joe thank you